live for the First Strike Podcast. Before we start the episode, let's plug our sponsor, facefacegames.com, the number one place to get your Magic the Gathering singles. They're going to be at GP Las Vegas this weekend, so definitely check out their booth. Uh, I'm glad to be back with Andy and Derek. We're doing a late night show because I am finally moving out. So uh, lots of things to do. (laughs) Finally, after many, many, many years, I am going to finally move out and uh, live on my own. Uh, Actually, I'm moving in with my fiance, but um, finally. So lots of uh, things that... Kept me busy, looking for the perfect uh, place to move into, and also now uh, lots of b- furniture buying and moving has to go on. But uh, I'm here, and I'm glad these guys are here with us, and lots to talk about, lots of near misses, and uh, I can't wait just to... Let's let's go straight to it. This past weekend, uh, face-to-face games Montreal hold their RPTQ uh, Team Unified Standard. Again, uh, I'm glad... I got a lot of good feedback from our last episode, and a lot of people even thanked me uh, for reminding them to uh, pre-register and letting them know about the current situation, that they rushed and now feel safer that they're now pre-registered for the Toronto RPTQ. So if you haven't done so already, make sure you go to facefacegames.com, the front page. There's a link to the left, and you click that, and that will get you access to the registration page for the Toronto RPTQ. Um, If you haven't heard from our last episode, lots of RPTQs are getting sold out due to cap space. Uh, but Andy, you managed to, you, know, you register early once I uh, used the face-to-face games account to talk about the Montreal RPTQ, mentioned how there's a cap, and you were one of the first ones to, to jump on in. So I'm glad you were able to get there. Yeah, it, it feels good to not get uh, capped out of an RPTQ. <laughs> <laughs> uh, apparently a team from Kingston didn't show up. I don't know if you know them. Uh, well, what happened is, uh, this is true, uh, the, one of the players lost their uh, bag that had all their decks in it, and so they uh, basically were like, listen, I can't go, obviously, I don't have a deck, and they decided they're just going to play the Toronto one instead, and they registered for that one. So, that's awkward. This is a situation where I guess there were a chance that, maybe there's a chance that teams would show up and hope that a team didn't show, but there weren't extra teams that show, so it ended up being a clean uh, 50 teams. Um, good old shout-outs to Jason Wong for being the head judge of this tournament. He's awesome. And uh, I, I, I kind of feel bad. I mean, this was supposed to be a, a comedic segment of the show, but uh, Andy Andy was uh, t- he messages me, and then he's in the finals. I'm like, wow, like him – I. I Kale Thompson, Devin Giles have been slaying. I'm like, oh my god, they're they're actually going to do it. But uh, Andy, uh, what happened? Well, spoilers, we we didn't do it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we we ended up five one one and drawing into seventh place or something into the top eight. Which is it felt weird to cut to top eight in a team tournament, but I guess uh, that's just what they wanted to do because like there's different prizes in a normal one that cuts out to top 16 and cut into top eight and teams kind of makes a similar number. So, so I get it on that front, but uh, yeah, so we, we made the top eight. We're on the draw. Basically we knew we were going to be on the draw forever, which is just brutal in a team event because all three of you are on the draw. But uh, we managed to, to get the first round uh, by the skin of our teeth. It was very, very close. Uh, 
Uh, I played a close set, and it all came down to Kale versus uh, a friend of yours, David Schneer. But uh, I don't know what I didn't know at the time what David kept, but it did not look very good to me because he did not do almost anything. So what what happened is Kale just went turn one bow mat, turn two like scrap heap, turn three bow mat, and so apparently David kept disallow disallow fumigate fumigate, and just got ran over. And he had to fumigate a board where we got to crack two Bowmat Couriers to go back up to seven cards and then bring back the Scrounger. So he fumigated, gained one life, and we already had three power back in play. And then the next turn, we went like Chandra, Mana, uh, Kari, Zev, and just were super far ahead again. So we felt pretty lucky to get that one. And then the next one, uh, we sort of got our, our hearts stolen from us. Uh, Kale was playing a mono red mirror match and uh, he lost game one because he, he missed his land drops and it really matters in the red mirrors about hitting your land drops because these decks uh, while low to the ground, their four drops are so important in the, in the matchups that if you miss them, you're, you're going to lose. And that's why part of the reason I prefer mono red over black red, because black red has that problem amplified. At least mono red has more cheaper, cheaper cards to interact and can actually play a more reasonable game on a uh, less amount of mana. But uh, it all came down to a pretty critical turn as, as Kale's turn four was to play a Phoenix. And he looked like he was going to be pretty far ahead. And then his opponent played a Goblin Chain Whirler, which like, okay, that's fine, but then had the Magma Spray too. And that from there, it just went all downhill. Kale missed some land drops, and that match was already over very fast. And so I was playing a blue-black mid-range against uh, Approach, which is uh, a bad matchup game one, but super, super good for you game two and three. So I lose game one as planned, and then game two, I have it locked up. Uh, My opponents have like six life, I have eight power in play. I know their hand, and I know that five cards down, they have Approach of the Second Sons. And so they have ten mana, they tap four, have six up, and go Glimmer. I'm like, yeah, that's fine, because the Approach is five down, so they can't, can't find it. And they just go, top, top, land seven, approach. And I was like, there, there goes that. It was so inconceivable that I lose that game and so unlucky that it didn't even make me feel that bad. I was like, well, that's, in, that's just incredible odds. Against it. You just, I don't know. It makes me feel better about it that it was almost impossible. Like, good job. You're a goddamn miracle worker. And uh, Devin... I think was going to game three, playing green-white mid-range versus green-black snake. But that's how our tournament ended. A bit of heartbreak at the end. But alas, uh, as I've told Derek, I'm sure it's very important to keep uh, putting yourself in the position to win these tournaments, and you have to understand that it's not going to break your way every time, or maybe ever. And how do you like the the format as compared to um, just just normal team constructed? Uh, it's just it, so for me, like these kind of events are too stressful to me. You have to worry about how to build your decks and like what cards to take from other decks. And the metagame is like so defined, but at the same time, there's slight variations that it's ugly. I don't I don't really like the team unified standard, but Maybe it's the best option to do constructed so you don't force people to have to have a legacy deck to play in their RPTQ. So it's perhaps the best option to do a constructed team RPTQ is this type of event. 
but uh, it created some wonky deck choices. Like it felt like everyone could pretty easily choose two decks, and then your third deck, you're like, oh god, what are we going to do for that deck? And <laughs> I liked our uh, lineup, which was blue black mid range, green white mid range, and uh, mono red with scrap heap scroungers, the John Rolf deck. I think we had three good decks, and a lot, honestly, it felt like a lot of people weren't operating with three good decks. So I felt like we had an edge there. But uh, maybe uh, maybe there's a better approach, but I'm interested to see what you think, Derek, because you have uh, your RPTQ coming up. So what do you think is a lineup that you like? Uh, I was playing with the idea of ha- definitely having a red, red-black deck um, and then maybe having a green-black deck and then having blue-white. Um, one of my teammates won a pre-TQ last weekend with Esper Control, so I felt like having Esper Control and then having a non-fatal push deck in the middle would also be fine because uh, I'd be playing that deck probably. Um, the thing is, though, when when you said that you played your lineup, the green, white, black, blue, uh, red deck, I felt that was pretty like a good idea. And then over the weekend, I, I was also realizing that a lot of other people, including known uh, pros, were also doing that sort of thing. And even some people were like not even playing uh, like a green deck. I think uh, Matt Costa's deck didn't. Matt Costa's team didn't play any green. They played blue white instead of um, instead of green black or green white. And they played uh, what else? What was the other? I think they played blue black, red yeah, black. Blue. It was mono red, blue black, and uh, blue white. Yeah, so they just didn't put the negates in the blue black deck, played something else, and which is perfectly fine, and just played blue white. Which I personally don't think blue white's a very good deck, but if you have a good pilot on it, it can definitely beat forty uh, percent of the field, which is maybe just what you need to do. And when you have three of the best players in the room, probably like piloting these decks. So I think that's also something to think about. But yeah, the idea of not playing in green is. Is interesting, but I also think not a lot of people really understand what green white is trying to do, and so that's an important um, thing to think about. Is we all understand what red, red, black are doing. We all have some sort of understanding of what green, black, mono green, and sort of blue black is doing. If you bring bring green white to a tournament, like the average person probably isn't grinding as much standard as we are. So maybe they don't have a complete understanding of the seventy five or. Maybe they don't understand your angle of attack or how Shalai interacts with other cards in your deck, right? So I definitely think that that might be one of my lineups. Yeah, my my two lineups currently were red, um, green, black, blue, white, and then red, blue, black, green, white. And those are the two decks that I'm thinking about inside my head and I'm looking at other data, like what cards move over and stuff like that. Um, it really depends on how I want to build the red deck, I think. Uh, I think that's our starting point. We s- sort of surface around that. But yeah, that's where I'm at. Yeah, that, uh, I think the, the key takeaway is don't let, uh, don't let your friends play a mono green deck. I don't think that deck is uh, that powerful. It relies too much, I think, on uh, curving out very aggressively and can get disrupted by some decks and then just doesn't have the staying power that some other green decks have. And that's why I liked the green-white deck, because what it had game one against, like, mono-red was it had Shalai and uh, the Baneslayer Angel Lyra and, like, some removal. And, like, that's 
green decks are already sort of hard for mono red. And when you add the fact that it just has these incredible cards for the matchup, I think you put yourself in a good position in that matchup. And I think that's going to be a, a 33% of the field, almost guaranteed. And I, we thought about Snake could be the other deck. And we think it has an edge against Snake, too, because it has so many big haymakers. And if the list we played had Brontodons to help deal with some of the good things that Snake can do and has some removal. So I thought it was good in those two matchups and was good if people were playing the blue-white control with enchantment removal and not Esper. If people are playing Esper, it's just a pretty damn bad matchup. But you can't, you can't, you can't be perfect. Like, green-white's not the best deck. It's like a 55% against a couple decks and then pretty bad against some others. But I think it fits well in, in Unified Standard. Hmm. So any you had mentioned that uh, the format was stressful, but you, you think that they might have to do this without legacy. I guess some people have already talked about um, why not block and stuff like that. Uh, so what what do you think? Like, are you fine with the way if they do this again? Are you fine with the way they did it? Well, it can't be blocked. There's two sets. <laughs> that would be a goddamn disaster. Just be everyone bring your best draft deck <laughs> with horrible mana. Uh, so. I really don't like uh, the pressure points that this format puts on deck building, but I get how some people could really like it. But uh, for me, I uh, I stress over deck lists w- like when I register for a tournament a lot. I'm talking, I think about it all day, every day. What like three cards I want to change in my deck, and the fact that I have to think about what lineup I want to play and then have to take the next step for for what cards we want to play was a lot for for me to handle as someone who stresses over uh, the, the finer details of a deck list. So I didn't like it for that reason, but I think it's the best option for a constructed team event for RPTQs because I don't think it's fair to expect people to have a legacy deck, even though they're going to do it for the Pro Tour. So you can certainly argue that it's totally fine, but I understand why Watsy did it. They've had this format be featured before in the World Magic Cup a couple times, so... And, like, the format was relatively well-received for that. Like, you got to see different decks, sort of. So I think it's okay. I think it's the best alternative if they're off having Legacy at these events for Constructed. So you're happy to run this back if they do it again next year? Yeah, yeah. I think it's better than the option of Legacy, I think. Are there any strategies that you could carry from, from this experience to, like, the next time they do it? Uh, like uh, strategies like in, like in terms of how, how preparation yeah for preparation I think uh, to take the time to figure out what other people are going to play because this is a very metagameable thing and sometimes for PPTQs or RPTQs there's so many regions that are like intertwining to go into this thing that you can't metagame very well but uh, this kind of thing you just know for sure that there's going to be like a green based deck so you, you think of cards that are good against these decks. You're like, Fumigate. And you're like, settle the record. You're like, hey, that card's also pretty good against red sometimes. So then you can be like, okay, we definitely want a deck like this to exploit that weakness of two-thirds of the decks. So there's a weird metagaming because you, you have an expected metagame. It's just not decks, it's colors or combinations or relative strategies. So I think recognizing what you're going to face and not necessarily... Like, start at what you think you're going to face and then maybe choose your decks instead of choosing your decks first, which is kind of like the level one. So I think try to get to level two by thinking what other people are going to play and then try to get 
two thirds good matchups with a couple of your decks and all today. All right, Der- Derek, did you learn anything uh, from from Andy's experience that you can take away and crush it? Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> like me. I- Knowing me, I'll just lose another PTQ final, so I might just be in the same boat as Andy. Um, I think, honestly, like, <laughs> just learning to play your deck well is the best thing you can do. Like, if, you're, if you think your deck isn't that good, like, if you get the worst deck at the table, just play it well. It's, it's what you have to do. That's how I feel about it. Format seems fine. Right. Derek, uh, uh, Gabe Sang was, was messaging me how he was listening through the whole episode uh, to continue our segment of, of what happened, the uh, whole entire episode, and he was uh, very sad to hear that uh, we didn't feature your uh, PPTQ. And uh, let, let's hear the story. What, what happened? I, I'm curious, why, why did Gabe Sang really <laughs> want this story to be told on air? It, which PPTQ? Because so... so... Was it the PPTQ or was it the PTQ? It, I I don't know. Because Saturday, Saturday I lost a standard PTQ finals on Moto, uh, and if I won that, I didn't have to play the pre-TQ on Sunday. Uh, I lost the finals. I'm like, okay, I'll go to this pre-TQ on Sunday, and I sit down and Gabe's there. Gabe had won a pre-TQ the week before. It's like, Gabe, why, why are you here? Like, this place is like, this store's like a 10-minute drive from where I live. And it's like an hour, hour and a half drive from where Gabe lives. Just hanging out, just coming for dinner with us afterwards. I'm like, okay. Build my deck, register it. I put the Navigator's Compass in my deck as the 23rd. So I'm like, uh, I think I want 18 lands, but I also want things to trigger historic. And like, I'm playing three colors. So, like, maybe this compass is just better than my 18th land. I'm, like, trying to do the math. I'm, like, thinking. I'm, like, yeah, whatever. I'll register it. Haven't played this format that much. Let's try it. Register it. I, like, stand up and go get coffee, and I see there's a message from Gabe on Facebook. Navigator's compass is unplayable. Never register that card. Sign it out every single matchup. And I'm, like, oh. So what you're saying is I just shouldn't even try to test this card. Like, tells me in person. I end up uh, XOing Swiss and double drawing into top eight. And I'm in, so we're, we're drafting, and I'm in a blue white deck. Uh, pack two, I open to Fairy. I'm like, wow, I'm going to win this draft. That's right? huge. Yeah. It's, it's big. There's a RAF that comes around, like RAF Capuchin. Um, well, this is huge. <laughs> It's like pick pick three pack two or something. Pick four pack two. And I'm thinking about the people at this table. And it's me, David Rude, two or three seats down to my left. And a bunch of randos that I know don't play limited. <laughs> and so I take an Academy Drake over the RAF. And I'm dedicated blue-white. And the RAF wheels. <laughs> and so I get it. And I register my deck, and Gabe walks over to me and goes, you're an idiot. How'd you pass the wrath? And I'm like, what do you mean? I knew it was going to wheel. He just looks at me like, 
that's the dumbest thing I could like I could have ever said. Like I don't know if he swore at me or not, but it was just like, how could you be so absolutely stupid? And I'm like, Gabe, somebody just gotta read the table. He's like, you just made the complete incorrect play and got rewarded. And I'm like, listen, I'm a master, obviously. Uh, so my deck was insane. I had a Raph, I had a Teferi, I had like a bunch of other good and white cards, like whatever you want. Round one, I get paired against this guy and he's like, I've drafted this format like three times. I normally only play once a week in modern. I just wanted to come out to see what would happen. I'm like, okay, cool. Game one, he goes turn six Maltani. <laughs> just crushes me in two turns. I'm like, sweet. Game game two on the draw, he goes grow from ashes on turn three. Turn four, Maltani. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> and I just get crushed and I'm super tilted. And I'm trying not to like get very upset. Deerud sits down across from this guy, and this guy with the Maltani just doesn't play Maltani, just plays a bunch of random really bad cards, ends up like four for owing himself because he doesn't understand how first strike damage works, and like plays a bunch of combat tricks trying to block a creature. And Deiru just crushes him in two. And then Deiru just wins the pre-TQ. And I had, like, the best deck I've ever seen in this limited format. And I just got absolutely destroyed. Not to mention, I lost a PTQ finals the day before. And my life is just like, why do I keep playing this ridiculous game? I hope that's what Gabe wanted. Because that's what he's getting. <laughs> wow. Sometimes it's great to get sad all over again. <laughs> I'm like, sweet, I exoed Swiss, you know, like, maybe this time I can close, even though it's just a pre-TQ, like, it's not that big of a deal. I top eight every single one I play. Just get stomped. It's destroyed. Doesn't matter. Whatever. Guess I'm still playing pre-TQs this season. I'm so lucky. I, I don't have to play pre-TQs now. Oh. oh, yeah, you are lucky. Wow. I run so hot. Yeah. I wish, like, every time I lost a PTQ finals, I automatically got queued for the next PTQ. You know? Like, wouldn't that be sweet? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I still can't believe you actually ran that gambit because you thought they wouldn't take the Wrath? Yeah. Uh, no, like, like... I do not support this gambit for the record. Yeah. Like, I, one thing, people, and I, I'm, not, I'm not over-exaggerating... Nobody knows how to play limited. You think you know how to play limited? You don't know how to play limited. You sit down at a table and you're like, this is the right pick. This is the right pick. It's like, no, you don't know what you're doing. All right. Unless you're playing like a hundred drafts of the format, you don't know what you're doing. And the people at these events don't know what they're doing. And so if you go to a pre-TQ and you're like, oh, this draft pod's pretty hard. Like I had a pro tour winner in my draft pod and his deck was like, 10 levels worse than mine because I got incredibly lucky because nobody else at the table knew what they were doing. It's just like, you just got to run the risk. Nobody knows. It worked out. I'm right, obviously. It sure did work out. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't know. Like, even, even if you're bad in experience, I feel like people learn early on they're just like rafts are, are bombish in no. limited. No, everybody in limited bases their it is, uh, circumstantial evidence on constructed. So if they don't see a card that's good at constructed, they don't understand how it interacts in limited. 
I mean, it's still a to me, it's still a crazy gambit. Like I couldn't, I couldn't do it, even if it was just like you just gotta know, you just gotta, you just gotta like realize that's that's getting to the next level. I think it's you know? really ballsy. I mean, the wrath, the wrath. You're talking about. Um, are you talking about the white rare? No, no, Raph Capuchin. Raph. The blue white flyer. Okay, okay, my bad. No, no, the the Raph definitely wields like Urza's Ruinous Blast. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't think most people would play that. I think that wields for sure. The Raph on the other like, hand, I think it's like a rare. Like people that they're just gonna if they don't have any experience, they're still gonna pick it. It's an uncommon. <laughs> okay, Mr. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like this, this is what I mean, right? Like the cards ridiculous and nobody took it it was great oh sorry i, I met the ruinous blast this time that's what i meant oh yeah i mean i also had a ruinous blast <laughs> this is how bad i run um we we had uh, some questions in the nation one that that comes on and on again is um We'll get people posting about like, you know, I've been working hard, but tournaments haven't been working out. I've been running bad or I've been doing poorly. I don't know what's going on. Andy, you you offered some advice uh, to to some of these uh, types of posts in the past. Just talk about it a bit on the show here. And yeah, like to, to me, it's just soul crushing because... (laughs) I'm, not, I'm just like looking at two. I'm, I'm co-hosting with two people who, who repeatedly have gone soul crushed in recent memory, and uh, yeah, the real. But but I think you guys. But uh, well, maybe not. But but I know Andy for sure. <laughs> he knows the the reality of 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 the variants and and that it's just like one tournament, one league that you could easily go 05 in. And uh, I think people, uh, people in the nation, some of them are, are a bit too hard on themselves. Like if they whiff on two PPTQs, it's, it's no big deal. It doesn't really mean anything is wrong. And it's, and, and I just, that's why I enjoyed your encouraging words. Uh, Andy, I, I don't know if you want to uh, recap no, no, sort of your advice. I got, I got some thoughts on the topic. So, one of the, f- the first things that I think is very important is to like hook up with in whatever capacity that you can with some players that are, are better than you. And it's, it's so important. This, I cannot stress how important it is to talk to people who are better than you and because they're going to tell you things that you don't agree with. And it's going to be like, it's going to be a little mind blowing when they tell you this, you're going to be like, I can't, like, are you f- for real? Like you don't do that in this position. And you have to understand that, like, their experience is uh, sometimes you play games and you have so much experience in the games that when you see a play and you see a situation, you understand what to do. And sometimes it's hard to explain why. You're like, listen, I just know that this is what you're supposed to do. Here's all the things that could go wrong if I don't do it. And the worst thing that can happen if I do do it is this. And the odds of X happening is higher than Y. But, uh, I think it's important uh, to like get someone to watch some of your games or give you some advice on like what you did wrong and why. And also to understand that when you're doing poorly, sometimes it is just variance. And so one thing I hate that people do is blame things on luck, but you do have to understand that luck exists and you have to just move past and think about the things you can change. Like, yeah, sometimes you could have some bad draws, but then you have to start thinking like, is there a way to make my deck function if I miss a land drop on turn four a little better? Is there a way to make my deck function in a way to hit my land drops more often? So there's 
other things outside of your playing the games that could be affecting why you are and are not winning. And you have to recognize that. But uh, the better player thing has got to be the most important thing, even if you can get someone to just watch you play some matches and they could just like tell you what you did wrong or what they would have done differently. It'll, it could really open up your eyes uh, to a lot of things. And just talking with people. People have a lot of good opinions and people have a lot of bad opinions. But the thing is, if interpreted correctly, more information should never be correct, incorrect. Like getting more information is never incorrect as long as you have the time to like digest it. So I think it's important to, when someone tells you an opinion, not to just immediately rub it off if you don't believe that it's true. Even if you think that they're a worse player than you, because that's the kind of thing that can start holding you back is people could express an idea, you think you're better than them, and you disagree, so you ignore their idea. But that's how you close yourself off from different options in the future. So that in itself is very important as well to me. So I think listening to everybody and having a good dialogue with people is something that's going to make you a lot better at Magic, aside from just playing games. Because everyone will give you the same advice, just play a million games of Magic. And while that is obviously very helpful, it's uh, the next step is to analyze your games of magic with other people and analyze magic with other people because people are going to have different ideas and the different ideas will eventually help you get better. Uh, so one thing that I, uh, I find that helped me level up was not just playing with better players, but playing with players that uh, had like-minded goals as I did. And so one of my goals a while ago, would have been like two years ago, was to get on the PT or start day twoing more Grand Prix or be better at limited. And so if, if I was playing with better players, but they wanted to play constructed, it wouldn't help. Or if I was playing with better players and they were playing more limited, it wouldn't help. Or if I was playing with better players and they didn't actually have time to commit to try to queue for the PT, but they were just going to Grand Prix, their, their work in progress wouldn't necessarily be focused. If you're with a bunch of people that are focused on improving a standard deck list, improving a modern deck list, or really figuring out what the best pick order for limited is, it helps a lot more than just talking about random things, right? So having a focus is very important. And once you have people that are on your same wavelength or sort of shooting for the same goal, it's much easier to do that. And I think like just playing with better players, of course, you can get more information. You should definitely be playing with better people at all times. But um, you also have to focus on what you want and how you're going to get it. And having a good group of people that are reaching for the same thing definitely helped me a lot more uh, recently and going forward. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That's a very, very, very good point. We should get that uh, clipped. You're very right, Derek. That was very smart. Good thing to say. <laughs> I'm getting it. Derek's right soundboard. <laughs> But no, you're right. Uh, getting people on the same wavelength with the same goals, will both of you will be producing the same quality and effort towards the same goal, and therefore you'll get better results. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there are players, like, like you mentioned, Andy, that, that blame it too much on luck, on, on various, et cetera, and it's part of it. I think um, the person in question that, that I'm referring to in, in the nation who asked is, I felt like, but he did it differently. I felt like he was beating himself up too much and not more, not like more blaming it on luck or variance, but basically saying like, oh man, like what the heck do I have to do to improve? And I think what you guys have suggested, it's like 
talking to people stronger than you and stuff like that, you're going to see more paths to improve more ways. Like as long, like you stay motivated as long as you can like distinctively tell how you've improved or what exactly you've learned. Um, when you like mentally think you've leveled up and that does involve uh, talking to better players sometimes, that's how you can stay motivated despite the results because you know you're just playing better. So kind of like the advice that both of you have, have given. Yeah, I, I have uh, a, oh, no, go ahead, Derek. Okay, I was going to say one thing, like, because I've, I've gone through that for so long. Uh, what do I have to do to get better? Am I finally at that next level? Am I getting there? Uh, I remember listening to the game podcast and the the episode for Whiplash, and it just resonated so deeply with me. Like for a very long time, when I was in high school, I just wanted to be so good at magic, and I kept missing. And I finally queued, and I'm like, "Oh my god! Like I'm good now." And I I just everybody queues, and everybody gets there, and it's just like, no, it like, what do I have to do to get back on, or what do I have to do, and all these things, right? And uh, I sort of changed my mindset. It's not what do I have to do; it's what am I doing. Uh, who, what am I focusing on? How am I putting magic in my life and making sure that I am giving it my all to get to the next level? And I don't think a lot of people really understand that you have to work for this. If you want to day to a Grand Prix, you got to put in effort. If you want to go to the PT, you got to put in effort. Uh, I had this conversation with Gabe and Deroot on the weekend, and they said, like, you can't be the best player in the world if you're trying to go to school. Like, it's very hard for me to get very good grades and try to constantly queue for the PT because everybody who's good at magic is much better than they were a long time ago. And there's so much more accessible information and if you actually have to grind and it's like, it's been said before and it'll be said again. Like you just gotta, you gotta give things up. There's sacrifice, there's opportunity cost, And I think that's one of the things. Go ahead, Andy. Yeah, I just wanted to touch on like people getting uh, demotivated because like uh, you can have a big string of bad results. So I always think of this story uh, from my my own experience is when I first started playing Magic, I honestly don't think I won for an incredible amount of time. I in fact recall it was during the ELO rating system days that my rating was down to 1450. I was probably in the bottom thousand or so in the country. And what happened is I just wanted to get better so bad that all I did was play magic and all I did was think about magic and think about playing magic. So I grinded for a whole year, just playing magic from I'm talking, losing everything. All I did was lose. And one full calendar year later, I qualified for nationals on rating, getting a, a 1950, whatever rating top hundred in the country from just like pure effort and Derek is right. It does come with a lot of sacrifice because like maybe some personal relationships I, I put to the side, maybe there was some other interests you have to put to the side. And if you want to be like great at magic, you have to do that. But if you want to just like do better at your local tournaments, then you just have to prioritize your time accordingly with your goals. I like that. I like that. Okay, someone, some people wanted us to touch upon modern and its current state. Um, Andy, you've been crushing uh, the cues with a particular type of deck? Yeah, I'm almost ashamed to say it. It's uh, five-color humans. It's, what? it's not Turbo Vizier? What the heck's going on? So I used to think to myself, what if a deck had no bad matchups? What if a deck only had nut draws? 
That's Amulet. what humans is. Amulet has no bad matchups. <laughs> but uh, I legitimately think humans does... If it has a bad matchup, it's like... What is it? 54, 55 for the, uh, for the opposer. It's, that deck is way too consistent, way too disruptive, and way too fast. I don't think humans has any particularly bad matchups, and if it does, it can certainly beat them anyway. Like I've played only I've only played four leagues, but I'm like eighteen and two, and <clears throat> I just it keeps being blowouts. I look at my hand, I'm like, this hand's ridiculous. I, I'm like, oh, I can't keep this seven. I mulligan. This is the best possible, and I realize it's just because it's like five spells, a land and a vial, or like. Five five spells and two lands. I'm like, oh my god, I can't lose. So I think that deck is over the edge right now, as as we speak for power level and modern. I think it's by f- certainly the best deck by a lot. Oh, I was hoping I was hoping for Turbo Vizier, but uh, yeah, but we all imagine- hope we all hoped for it. <laughs> you mentioned on previous episode on a previous episode that that it certainly has a, a whole uh, depending on how the the meta game shapes up. Um, but like, are people not playing the 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 mirror against you, and how are you finding that edge? Uh, so the the humans mirror, there's as with most mirror matches, there's two ways it can go. Someone could snowball the other one, or you get into this long grindy game where like the person who knows how to attack better in these board stalls will win. And I find myself on the better end of these board stalls quite a few times. And uh, sometimes it's because I'm drawing better, but I think sometimes it's because my opponents aren't recognizing what kind of trouble they could put me in by like attacking with more creatures early on when their life total could be used as a resource. And they just get stuck passing because they're so afraid to figure out this like pretty complex board state. And then I'm still chipping in with, with my cards. <clears throat> so I think that's kind of how that mirror goes. <laughs> it's like hard to just tell people to play better in the mirror, but you just to keep better hands is a good way to. <laughs> so you, you haven't seen anything in the queues that scare you. When when you jump in, what's the what's the deck? Is there a deck that you're you're like ah? Which was something else? Yeah, probably uh, Mardu Pyromancer because they have Blood Moon. So they have Blood Moon and a lot of removal. So that's got to be as close as it gets to being like very terrifying. But like I, I'm probably two and zero against it or something. Like <laughs> it's just it humans. Is yeah, like I said, very fast, very disruptive, very consistent. I don't think there's another deck in modern that is all of those things at once. Um, a nation member wanted us to touch about like Hollow One, and are people still playing that? Yeah, that deck is still very good. That deck almost fits the 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 same thing that humans does: fast, consistent, and disruptive. It's less disruptive but faster. So it it's also operating on like a a very axis where it's pushing your pressuring your opponent to have all the right things very fast or die. And it's also pretty resilient, more resilient than humans, I would say, which gives it the edge of not being as disruptive. I also think, uh, I think the deck is very difficult to play. Uh, people say like there's a randomness to it, but like the randomness only adds to the difficulty level. It just makes your choices more impactful. But when you make the correct choice, you get paid off more. Um, and I think that it deters a lot of bad players from playing it because they don't understand why they're making mistakes or where the mistakes are coming from. We saw Owen this weekend play uh, Hall of One. Uh, I think it had Lingering Souls in it. And I don't know how well he did in the modern portion, but like I think 
that's modern more or less. Nobody can deny Owen's one of the better players in the world. Uh, but I think like the reason why more people are drawn towards humans compared to Hollow One is because humans is an aggro deck and there's sort of like a bit of a, uh, what's the word? Safety, uh, net. It's like, if yeah, you make no, a mistake, no wrong it's like, threats, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like, oops. Uh, I thought it was Lieutenant 20. You with hollow one. It's like, uh, I played the wrong discard spell or like I wasted my faithless looting too early or, um, I cycled a hollow one when I should have tried to hold it and put it into play or I fetched a land and didn't get back a blood gas at the right time or something random like that. Right. Uh, I think hollow one's definitely one of the better decks, one of the top three. Um, and that's a statement I wouldn't normally make about a modern deck. <laughs> but yeah, I think that just shows the state of modern playing four fours on turn one. Wee! <laughs> <laughs> so the most recent invitational, uh, Star City Games Invitational, was won. But in fact, bringing it back because the list is basically a fairly stock list from. Maybe a few years ago. I, I see nothing that's really different, but this Aaron Barish, uh, possibly not a new idea, but decided to sort of sneak four of Geist of St. Trath in the sideboard. Um, I don't think I've seen that often. Have you guys seen that from, in fact, oh, like Derek has this like smile. Andy? Uh, it's, so it's typically like similar deck list, but that card's been Kitchen Finks. So I think he's just adapted it to be Geist of St. Trath. So it's not that bizarre to me, but. I've seen uh, people bring Invisible Stalker in because, um, like, people will bring in Malira or stuff like that. And so if you bring in Invisible Stalker, it actually beats them on the damage race. Um, and I've seen people bring in Geist and what was the deck list? Uh, I can't remember what it was. But basically it was another creature deck where your opponent just brings in a bunch of removal. And if you resolve the Geist, the game's pretty much over. Um, which I don't know how many matches he had on camera, but I saw one where he played a Geist and his opponent blocked with a 2-2, and he pumped it. And the game was over after that. Uh, so I don't know how good Infect is going forward. I think he got pretty lucky in his matchups to uh, dodge the Mardu Pyromancer player, but I think, yeah, guys is sweet. I don't even understand how it beats humans. Like, it's like Blind Agent or Bust. <laughs> I don't think there was a lot of humans. There's so many blockers. They, they talked about the metagame breakdown, and... Like, not a lot of humans players made day two, but there's a lot of Jeskai. Turns out that uh, Infect's pretty good against Jeskai when not everybody's used to playing Infect, and you have, like, ten spells in your deck that dodge Lightning Bolt, uh, Path to Exile, and Lightning Helix. So, I don't know, you just play tight and size into guys the same draft, I guess. <laughs> Wee. <laughs> Yeah, counter spells are usually typically bad against Infect too, so Geist really will shine because they will board a lot of them out. Yeah. Do you like Derek, do you like Geist more or Invisible Stalker more? I like Invisible Stalker because it comes down on two. Um, if your opponent ever does have a counter spell like Logic Knot, it's more likely you get countered on turn three compared to turn two. And uh, the fact that it's unblockable basically does the exact same thing and you get hidden uh, extra value in the fact that it also has hexproof and unblockable. It does have hexproof, right? It does. Yeah, okay. I, I wanted to make sure that, yeah. Uh, it has hexproof and unblockable, and uh, what else was I going to say? It, it helps you against Malira. Not that a lot of people are playing Malira out there, but, you know, 
Yeah, I'm is on Team Geist. Is it playing enough sources to, to support the white? It's probably just a bunch of fetches in a, a temple yeah. garden. Yeah. I mean, in, in modern, you can get away with so many things, right? Like, you have hierarchs, and uh, probably has, like, one temple garden. I wouldn't be surprised if he was playing two planes. No, he's not. And four bird catacombs. He's not. He's <laughs> one, one temple garden. One temple garden, two mystiques, three burnt catacombs, two two heaps, two foothills. Uh, so plenty of way to get the temple garden, and and of course the noble hierarch. Well, was that a callback to the zoo mana base? <laughs> no, that was a callback to me not knowing how to make a deck list when I was sixteen. Oh baby! <laughs> uh, we had an affinity showing. We find uh, we're seeing Karn, like two copies of Karn, uh, being this guy's uh, list, Austin Collins. Um, yeah, KCI in seconds. I think we should take a second to like this uh, affinity list is actually different. It's playing ancient stirrings, and I think that's yeah, pretty wow. important because I completely uh, missed that. Yeah, so this guy and someone else went like both of them went X one. I think with the deck with ancient stirrings in the deck, and honestly, it is one of the least surprising things I could have heard because ancient stirrings stone cold busted. <laughs> and uh, tossing it in Affinity seems pretty damn good when all of your good cards get hit off of it. So I like it. Ancient Stirring seems pretty cool for the deck to me. Huh. Was it technology that existed? Out. Was this technology that could have been used before? Like a, w- a long time ago? Well, yeah, the cards have been legal for a long time. But uh, yeah, it's technology that could have been used before and hasn't been. Like we've seen people play uh, that white spell that fetches an, an equipment. Steel Shaper's Gift or whatever. Right, we have, yeah. Now, Ancient Stirrings is probably better overall. So, I like it. Seems seems sick to me. Sick tech that I I can't wait to try. I remember reading this on Twitter and being pretty excited about it. Was was Gift... Was the Gift considered good at one point? It was considered good at one point, yeah. Do you remember why? It was stock, like, well, because you just fetch cranial plating. It's just more cranial plating. Well, well, why, did it, like, why did it uh, fall out of favor? As well? It's not good. Figured it out. What happened? What happened? What happened? What happened? People thought it was good. Hey, Affinity players, what happened? <laughs> Maybe Alex Majelton played in and was like, get this garbage out of my deck. Um, but yeah. copied. I mean, it'd be interesting if, if Asia Story uh, is good, and then like people are deciding to play it because uh, of Karn, and are inspired to play it. And it'd be cool to know. I know for me, like that, everyone should have been playing this ages ago. So like, there's some lists that, like before, would split Thoughtcast and Galblast. This just splits Ancient Strings and Galblast. So like, it's it's uh, just a new new take, and I'm interested to check it out. Seems pretty like cool it. to me. Like it, like it, like it. Some hex proof in the house in uh two Karn. Ya boy. <laughs> got Gerard Fabiano also making top eight. It's got uh Jess Guy Control with, with Karn in the mix, two Teferi. Some some cool lists in here. And some mono green devotion as well, rounding out the top eight. Whoa. So what Derek, you you haven't touched modern in a while? No, I try to stay away from that format as much as I can. Unless there's a Grand Prix or... Yeah, it's actually only probably a Grand Prix. I've maybe a modern PTQ, but I would just register Tron. I'm a Tron sympathizer. 
Andy? Like, I, I play modern sometimes just to check it out. Basically, when I start running out of play points, I just toss in humans, <laughs> take my bank, and walk away. All right. Um, let's go back. We, we talked about uh, Team Unified Standard at the top of the show. But uh, just for, for our listeners who, who are looking for just some normal standard uh, for their upcoming event, whether it's an FNM or something like that, let's, let's get some quick hits. A- Andy, I, th- I think in our group chat, you felt a deck is way better than Derek thinks it is. And he's like, how? How are you winning? And stuff like that. So, so what deck would you play in an upcoming just, just standard, normal standard? One player. Yeah. Uh, I am very likely to play blue-black mid-range at GP Pittsburgh. I think uh, I like the way the deck plays. I think it plays to a lot of my strengths. I play a lot of mid-range, and honestly, I think it's good enough against everything that it's what I want to play, and I don't want to be stuck in these red mirrors where there's a lot of variance in them, and I, I hate to say that about magic, but these red mirrors, really, you have to hit your land drops on time, or you will get so severely punished, it's incredible. Like If you miss land four and you have a hazard in your hand, all of a sudden, this Hazrite is not attacking for like three turns, four turns sometimes. But if you play it on turn four, you'll likely get to attack with it the next turn. And that swing is just absolutely incredible. So that's not really what I want to be doing, but I certainly couldn't fault anybody. It's got to be the best deck. But I would rather have myself playing blueback midrange in that spot. Very similar to the JD and Clump Parents, uh, Emma Handy lists. But uh, putting the Champion of Wits back in the deck because I'm a. I'm a believer in Champion of Wits. Oh, they, they don't have them? They, they, Emma cut down to two and Jadine cut down to three in favor of Walking Ballista. And I don't like that card in Blue Black Midrange myself. So I just made the straight, straight swap almost. <laughs> but, but overall, you, you said that like, their lists have been pretty damn solid. Yeah, so their sideboard is what I really liked. So I like that you were relatively pre-board versus... Uh, the green decks and the red decks by having all your removal and your chupacabras and your cards that are good against them pre-board. And the post-board, you have 15 cards for control. And you have a couple spatterings of like good cards for control in your main deck. Like She played one main deck search for Ascanta, uh, one main deck uh, negate. And I like, I like that. I like that it's like you're geared towards these other decks, but you hedge enough that you still have a fighting chance against the other decks. So that's where I would lean towards is likely copy mostly the list I played this weekend, which was a 73 or 72 of JD and Club Parents list from the SCG. Derek, what about you? What are you, what are you grinding trophies with nowadays? And do you, do you have some doubt as to this blue-black deck? No, I'm playing the blue-black deck. Just not Andy's list. Um, I've gotten two trophies in the past three days with Blue Black Midrange. I don't know if Wizards is posting my deck list, but that's what I'm playing. I've gone through, like, so the deck I, I made the finals with at the PTQ, not last weekend, but the weekend before was the Blue Black Midrange. Um, and I don't want to brag, but I think I broke the format. Uh, basically, like, I decided that I didn't want to play champion in the deck list. Um, and so I didn't. I just played more removal. And I just crushed every red, black, and red deck I played against. And the following week, I'm like, okay, how can I hedge against control? Because now everybody's playing Esper control. And it turns out you can't really beat control without champion wits. So like, I'm sort of in this weird headspace where I'm trying to figure out the best versions to not play so many X ones, but at the same time, hedge against 
aggro and control. And like Andy said, I think the first card I'm going to start cutting is walking bliss. But yeah, I'm playing blue black. Uh, I think Emma and Jadine's lists are a good start, but they're kind of insane for bringing that deck to an event. But I guess it's the invitational. I think they probably had a pretty good uh, hit on the metagame for what they were expecting. And yeah, I, I would also play blue black if I was going to Pittsburgh. It's probably one of the decks we're going to register for our PTQ, which is the same weekend. Um, I think the deck's insane. Like Scarab God's still good. Uh, screw the haters out there. And uh, yeah. That's how I feel about that. Have you have you noticed, Derek, that the Scarab God is just living? It's just living these days? Yeah, like nobody's playing Brass's Contempt except for the sideboard. It's like it was, okay. It's a beautiful thing. I'm at fifteen, I play Scarab God on five. They go, Lightning Strike Shock, attack you for three. Okay. I'm gonna play the Scarab God and leave a fatal push. Okay. I'll concede. Thanks for playing. Wee! And that's my life. <laughs> we brought the Wii count up to like three or four <laughs> for this episode. Um, wow. So, so both on the blue black train. That's pretty, that's pretty nuts. Yeah. On the choo-choo train. Um, I'm pretty surprised with everyone uh, falling in red. Um, Let's check out some new cards. Of course, at 19, just want to mention that our official spoiler, the First Strike spoiler, will be coming out uh, next Monday. That's when it's slated to come out. So I might decide to do the show on Monday just because of the spoiler. But uh, good thing that on the positive side, there isn't some early leak that is ruining everyone's, uh, everyone who got a preview card. So I like that. Um, have you seen anything that that has interested you, Andy, at all? Um, there's a a reprint, a reprint of Mentor of the Meek. Yeah, like that card's a good card. That's like very good with Llanowar Elves, and and those it's very good with the Explore creatures. So that was good last time. It was in standard. It was like green white little guys. So I think Mentor of the Meek is just a very obviously powerful card. I could see it being played again. If uh, if they ban Chain Whirler. The white token decks might go through the roof with the printing of that card. Could you imagine? Oh, oh, Catcher's Monument. We broke it. Oh, it's like they reprinted Bygone Bishop. Holy, oh my gosh. You're here first. You get Teshar, you get uh, oh, Catcher's Monument, you get Mentor of the Meek, you get, uh, you get the Angels. Oh, I broke it. Can we not <laughs> release this episode? I, oh. This is I've got like some mentor of the week to buy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hello, Star City Games. I'd like to I've buy got four K of them in my basement. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember mentor of the week more of it uh, being played in. Uh, some people played it in their Jeskai shell, like with um, Jeskai tokens. Did you remember that deck with like Seeker of the Way? Um, I think Ascendancy. Um, Orling Outburst, I think. I think that was part of the Mentor, mentor of the Meek. I think yeah. you're talking about Monastery Mentor, my man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think those cards were legal. Mentor, mentor of the Meek <laughs> was printed in Innistrad. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Oh, I'm, was it just green white? Yeah, it was just like a green white Avacyn's Pilgrim. Yeah. yeah. It also played like Overrun. It played Overrun. Yeah. It played, some of them played the Garrick. What was it? Tokens. Man, I'm gonna get roasted. Um, I feel like it's it was in another deck. 
Because I've never played around. this green white deck. I've never played this green white deck, and I could swear I've played Mechagorum. It might have been in like some Abzani, like Lingering Souls decks. I, it was also, or I think it was, also in a, it was in a white black deck to get some, some white black tokens deck. Uh, like the Lingering the, Souls Champion of the Parish stuff. Yeah, that, the, that the, might be what I'm thinking about. Then. The two men and Shaman that got banned from block, I think, was also in that deck. Intangible Virtue. Intangible Virtue, and then there was the Instant Speed Make 2 1 1 Spirits. Midnight Haunting. Yeah, and so I yeah, think once once Alice Norn rotated out that deck, the white black deck was a contender. Okay, I think I think that's the deck. I think I'm mixing like <laughs> in my brain, the mixing the two tokens deck. The past um, six years of magic are just a blur in your yeah, mind. Yeah. You're like in the twilight zone. But uh, Midnight Haunting comes to mind, um as well as okay. What about that land? Okay, which deck does this belong to the land that makes the of the Archangel? Moreland Haunt? Yeah, Moreland oh, Haunt. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the blue white Delver, or like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking about that stuff. Sweet. What a good time that was. I beat David Kaplan in the round two of a PTQ, and he was very upset. He's spaghetti about it. Oh. <laughs> um. Any interesting planeswalkers from this set? The green one's cool. What's what's it? What's her name? Vivian Reed. Yeah, I like that card. Five loyalty for three uh, green, three colorless, so five mana, plus one. Look at the top four cards of your library. You may reveal a creature land card from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in, in a random order. Minus three, destroy target artifact, enchantment, or creature with flying. And minus eight, you get an emblem with creatures you control, get plus two, plus two, and have vigilance, trample, and indestructible. I like it. Seems cool. It uh, kills things. And it gets card advantage. I mean, it's one less mana than a Johnny. Uh, doesn't cost two colors and does a very similar thing. I mean, it's not busted by any means, but like, I don't know what you're expecting from a Planeswalker these days. I, yeah, I can see it getting played. Yeah, it's like a sort of card advantage thing. It's not great, but like, obviously, it could have its applications. A card that I, I'm actually excited about is one that I think. Not a lot of people talk about. It's the Elvish Rejuvenator. Is that so the thick one? No, no, it's not the thick boy. Okay, we'll talk about the thick boy. There's two thick boys. I'm only, I only know of the one. There's one he thick rhino. Sick. Oh, the, so, the rhino. The rhino is whatever. I don't care about the rhino. Right, so, so, the, a- so Elvish Rejuvenator is uh, two and a green. It's a one-one. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, look at the top five cards of your library. You can reveal a land card from among them and put it onto the battlefield tapped. So it's like similar-ish to the the Wood Elves, but like you could get any land as long as it's in your top five. But like that's a pretty unique ability. That's pretty cool. Like you could get like your Valakut, or you could get like a Stomping Ground if it's in your top five. So like that's a card that like screams. It's possible that this card could be pretty good because we've seen effects like could be good, like Daybreak Ranger. But like obviously there's more variants to this, but there's more upside to this as well. So I Whoa. think that card's pretty close. You think it's modern playable? Is what you're saying? Yeah, it's certainly close. If it's if not, it's got to be close. <laughs> For the record, anything's modern playable. <laughs> what? what was that? You played that lunge card and said it was good. Anything's oh. modern playable. Post modern lunge. Yeah, yeah, whatever. It's it, any. It's playable. Everything's playable in modern. You heard it here first. Buy your right. else. All right, let's talk about the thick boy. <laughs> it's so thick. It's like a better verders. Uh, that might not be true. But it's like a Verderous Gearhulk. And, and Rob said in our super secret chat 
that this may mean that they're going back to devotion. And so if, if we follow the Lord, uh, if we're returning to return to return to Ravnica and the guilds are separated, maybe one of the new uh, mechanics they're going to use is devotion because everybody's like single color instead of like gilded, you know? Um, All I'm saying is they, they put these little things in core sets. You got you to gotta look for them. I, I got to hear Andy say this card's name because I'm just going to laugh. The Gigantosaurus? 10-10 <laughs> for five green. Sick. He's so big. Like, so first thing when I saw it is like, I started the same thing. I was like, is this good? That's a hell of a rate. Yeah. But then, the, then the second thing I thought of was murderous was Gearhawk, and I brought it up in our super secret chat. I was like, that's a five mana 8 8 that doesn't ask a lot out of you, and it has a way better ability of giving four of it haste and also just has trample. So, my uh, expectation of this card is a little low, but if devotion exists and there's a payoff for for it, like it's it's thick. <laughs> it's so big. Thick. Oh my gosh. <clears throat> Man, I would expect. I would always expect like something like a fling effect to be part of the set then, just because of him. But fling, fling is in standard, isn't it? Fling is in standard. I have no idea. Anybody know? I swear it's in standard. Uh, I'm gonna look this up, but uh, I, I feel like people just want to do that with this card. Take ten. Attack for 10, take 10. Tenya. Tenya, bud. Hey, bud. You're dead, bud. <laughs> take my 10, bud. So, uh, Mr. Uh, no One Knows Limited, how, how bomb you're not good is this card, uh, Derek? Uh, I mean, it's probably not that good. It, it really depends on how... Like, if I pick one pack warning this, on average, I'm never playing it. I'm passing it, hope the person to my left takes it and is in green 100%. Uh, this card's just really, it's good. Like, if you can cast it, sure. You're never casting it on turn 5 unless you're mono green. And if you're mono green, like, how good is your deck? Uh, unless the format's really dedicated to being single color, which, from the looks of it, I don't think it is. It's, that's, like, from a design space, that's something very high, hard to facilitate and make it be good in a limited format. Um, like, even in Theros, people didn't manipulate uh, devotion that much. Uh, it was mostly this wing sheet rider uh, go to town. So I, I don't think the card's that good. Unlimited. Will it see playing instructed? Sure. People will shove it. Like the three, three, the, the four, the five, four over three sees play. But that's because the raid is actually ridiculous and it has an evasion ability. Um, this card's not, not that. So still dies to Doomblade. Blah, blah, blah. You know how it is. Fling is indeed legal and standard. Um, hopefully, I didn't mute myself. Okay, yeah. Fling is legal and standard. I have died to it in standard. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I have. Not in current the standard. Cycle, the cycling deck killed me with the, the two mana cycler, and then it just cycled everything on the stack and flung it at me. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, there's no way I could die. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, well, pass the turn. Can't lose. Oh. What do you mean, glimmer in the second approach of the sun? Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> what about aggressive mammoth? 
Nah. Okay. Eight, 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 six. He's a sick boy, but nah. Yeah. Yeah. Aren't all mammoths aggressive? <laughs> Let me Google this one. Maybe there's some passive mammoths. <laughs> you, ever seen, you ever seen a passive mammoth? Me neither. I'm 19. Yeah, per- yeah. Other creatures you control trample. This card's good limited. Well, it's not unlimited though. It's a it's a dual deck thing. Oh, like Walker deck. Yeah, you're right. It's good unlimited. Yeah, that card would be great. Uh, there's an angel that gives vigilance. That one would be good limited. Is that also dual deck? <laughs> I think so. It this sure is. This is all casual stuff, huh, oh, man? Oh man! Oh my! Oh my gosh! Sleep is back. Gravedigger's back. They brought in the big you, ones. I don't know if you've ever been put to sleep unlimited, but oh my lord, does it turn a game fast. Yeah, have you ever, you ever had a Gravedigger resolve? Gravedigger's so sweet. Oh gravedigger, my, my Gravedigger. Yep. <laughs> Next game! I think it took me a while as a, as a new player to understand why it was so good. Well, it's just a 2-2 two, two for 4. And then like when I first started playing matches, I'm like, okay. This is so annoying. They're like, why am I out of cards? And they're not. <laughs> why am I dying to this 2 2? <laughs> oh, yeah. Rob, Rob's really high on uh, the Vampire Sovereign, I think it's called. It's a 3 4 for 5, 3 double black, and it Seed Rhinos when it comes in. I think that card's really bad and constructed and really good and limited. Okay, um, so, yeah. I see okay. now. Really bad. What did you say, uh, Derek? Really bad in constructed, but good in limited. Yeah, that card is sweet. It's a uh, really good rate. Uh, it's only double black, and you get a really good effect out of it. So it's basically like you get to draw a card. That card's ludicrous. Holy crap! Yeah, it's ridiculous, right? Really, really good. Luda. So. Oh my <laughs> lord! It flies. <laughs> it, it does everything. It's a chroma. <laughs> Is there a chance? No, there's no chance it sees constructive play. I mean, everything sees constructive play. No, no, there is no it chance. It will not be good. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, we're going to wrap things up here. Uh, shout outs to people in the First Strike Nation My Secret Admirer, Jonathan Good, Kyle Smirchik, Jay Thomasine, Sasha. Pablo, Derek Bite, Matthew Kelly, everyone in the First Strike Nation. Um, if you want to support the show, uh, go to first uh, patreon.com slash first strike. Uh, if you want to support us by getting some apparel, you can go to manadeprived.com slash uh, apparel, uh, where you can get our official black t-shirt as well as our first uh, snapback cap, uh, only available for order for another week. Um, if you happen to be Canadian, uh, because the place supplying the apparel is from the states so if you buy it and you live in canada or somewhere else the shipping might be a tad ridiculous so what i'm doing i'm doing a deal for people who are part of the nation and uh so if you're part of the nation just send me a message on facebook on twitter on discord anywhere and uh i will be able to get you that same hat or shirt but at i'm just gonna charge you a flat five dollar shipping rate so what i'm going to do is i'm going to make like a giant bulk order and then i'm going to do the shipping myself once i get everything 
and uh, going to make it cheaper because I'm going to be shipping from Canada to Canada. So just a little favor from everyone in the nation. Um, any other topics, any upcoming tournaments uh, for you guys like GP Pittsburgh? Andy mentioned anything else exciting part of your life? No, I don't have to play PPTQs anymore. That's pretty exciting. <laughs> yeah, uh, I have to play PTQ still. I have the RPTQ in a couple weeks. Nationals is, what, three weeks from now? Just the uh, Canada Day weekend. Um, and that's all I have on my yeah, horizon. Yeah, big break. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's Moto PTQs I'm always playing in. Uh, boxes, but... Yeah. Um, for sure, I do check out mtgnationals.ca. If you haven't pre-registered, go pre-register uh, right now. Um, and there's a lot of stuff that you should check out. There's a lot of value to be had, especially for the qualifiers and the trials where you can get, while supplies last, a flooded strand just for part- participating. So you're going to pay 30 bucks. Probably, like, I don't know. Again, I've mentioned this, but I don't know MTG Finance. I imagine you're going to be able to sell that um, for maybe at least 30 bucks. If not now, someday down the road, it's probably going to be worth more than that. So that's a really good deal. And um, I can imagine people just like trying to grind through four just to have a playset. So definitely keep an eye on the site. And uh, yeah, anything else, guys? Shoutouts to Kyle Smirchik in the chat, Aaron Barrett, uh, for joining us for this late night edition. And uh, hopefully we will uh, see you next week with some more awesome sauce. And again, uh, the, the preview, our preview card from uh, Corset uh, 19 will be featured on the next episode. And uh, with that, for, for Andy, for Derek, and myself, uh, we will see you next week. Uh, subscribe, give us a thumbs up if you like and want to support our show, or uh, make sure to share the episode. Love you guys, and we'll talk to you next time. Thank you.